Hello, and welcome to Farmers Capital Conversations. I'm your host, Casey Silveria. This podcast aims to expand your social, intellectual, and economic capital. Investing on and off the farm is hard enough. Here, we will provide insightful stories and resources to help out. Full transparency, this is our shameless way for you to like us and hopes you partner with us down the road. Lastly, there are no ads here. All I ask is you enjoy and share if you find value. Now, on to the episode. With King Operating, the big differentiator between us and everyone else is, number one, we've increased the upside by including you on the most profitable part of the business, which is selling the land. And we reduced your downside by including you on the most profitable part of the business, which is the land. So it helps on both sides. You can make more money if the oil fields appreciate, which they generally do with production. But at the same time, it protects your interest because even if our monthly payments, if we're not drilling effectively or we're just simply not getting good pricing in the market, we're still increasing the value of the land over a period of time. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the show. Today's episode features Eric Rice, Chief Chief Growth Officer of King Operating Corporation. Starting his career in wealth management in Chicago, Eric has spent the past two decades building his own diverse portfolio of businesses. His ability to identify market nuances and growth opportunities has made him a trusted partner for entrepreneurs and investors worldwide. He brings to the table real-world market experience and keen insights that are highly sought after in the business world. Eric, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Casey. I appreciate it. Absolutely. I was, like I always do, listening to many podcasts in many different industries. I overheard one where you were speaking about oil and gas, and we have not had an expert in that field on our show. So very excited to, to have you on and explain what King Operating Corporation does, how they operate within the oil and gas um, industry, You know how you guys are helping passive investors diversify into the industry, and then what you bring to the table for not only the company and passive investors at large. Well, thank you. Yeah. So you still don't have an oil and gas expert on here. Um, I, I am fairly new to the space, but not in business in particular. Uh, oil and gas is a pretty simple business. So what we do here from an operational standpoint, we're an independent driller. So we're not a Shell or an Exxon or a Chevron. Uh, we're the guys who actually develop those oil fields to sell it to them. Uh, in this space that we find ourselves in, you know, King is, is just like everyone else. We drill for oil. We drill for gas. Uh, we may drill for other things in the future. Helium, we're drilling for water in Colorado because there's now currently a huge drought. So the mechanism of drilling has deep importance. There's a lot of minerals underneath the surface of the earth that will really help humanity. So that's part of it. Uh, what we do from a fund structure for investors is completely unique to the industry. So while operationally we do the same things everyone else does, we drill for hydrocarbons. From a fund perspective, we do something no one else does. So in 2015, our CEO, Jay Young, he actually changed the entire model. The way oil and gas investments have worked really for the existence of retail oil and gas have been that investors can contribute money into a fund. They get a big tax write-off. It's usually 100% with the bulk of that coming in year one. So last year, if you invested $100,000 into our fund, $90,000 came off of your adjusted gross income. That was last year. We averaged about 75% year one. Uh, but that's pretty traditional in all oil and gas investments. Uh, then you drill. So you find properties, you drill them. Uh, as you're selling hydrocarbons, the investors get a cut. You know, Generally, 80% of the net profits are distributed every month back into the hands of investors. That's what oil and gas investments have been for 40 years. Uh, traditionally, the oil and gas companies don't make money off of that. What they make money off of is selling the land. So they raise mm. capital, give away a tax break, 
make a monthly or quarterly payment on the sale of the hydrocarbons. And then the oil and gas company sells the leases as they increase in value to another player. Uh, what we've done that's different from everyone else is we include our investors in all of it. So our investors not only get a tax write-off and monthly income, which is also very tax advantage, by the way, uh, they also yep. receive a multiple on their capital. So uh, with King operating, the big differentiator between us and everyone else is number one, we've increased the upside by including you on in the most profitable part of the business, which is selling the land. And we reduced your downside by including you on the most profitable part of the business, which is the land. So it helps on both sides. You can make more money if the oil fields appreciate, which they generally do with production. But at the same time, it protects your interest because even if our monthly payments, if we're not drilling effectively or we're just simply not getting good pricing in the market, we're still increasing the value of the land over a period of time. So uh, that is really what we do differently here at King. I love it, Eric. Yeah, you kind of gain on both sides <laughs> in the coin in that manner and a, a nuanced approach to big oil companies. I mean, you mentioned, you know, how being effective. How are you guys ensuring that you guys are drilling in the right areas? And w what does that process look like? So you can never really ensure it. Um, you know, the, the, one of the myths to break is that nobody is looking for oil and gas. We know where all the oil and gas are. I love the reports that come out in the news. Oh, they found a huge pocket of oil in Guyana. We've known about that pocket of oil in Guyana for 10 years. They're just now announcing it. So modern technologies like seismic, 3D seismic in particular, it's about a 25-year-old technology. Uh, it gives you a good heat map of any surveilled land. It's very expensive to do. So before we buy a property, we make sure it at least has 3D seismic. There are three other types of seismic um, technologies that are coming out now, one of them including shooting a bullet down the well. Uh, one that we use right now for our last two wells is actually kind of like a bird's eye view or a barrel. You get kind of the bullet view through the barrel. We actually send a, a, a robotic down into the well, and it tracks the frequency in the well to tell us exactly where the biggest pockets of hydrocarbon are. So finding oil, not necessarily the, the hard part, but the hard part is the engineering. So, you know, if you look at like the Permian Basin, it's, it's kind of like the, it's the oil field that refuses to die. And they've been saying for years, like, oh, it's all the oil's gone. It's all, you know, we were told there'd be no oil in the 70s. We were told there'd be no beaches in the 90s. We told all this stuff that doesn't make any sense. Uh, what we're finding out is, yeah, most of the surface oil on planet Earth, like the Beverly Hillbillies shooting a shotgun and up comes bubbling crude, those days are over. <laughs> but at the same time, we also have depth. So with new technology, you can go deeper below the surface more efficiently. So there are, there's far more oil and gas miles below the surface than there ever have been up, up towards the surface. I mean, these are, these are hydrocarbons that have been trapped below the surface of the earth in some cases for tens of thousands, if not millions of years, mm -hmm. uh, depending on whether or not anyone can agree on how old the earth is. We can probably determine that. But, you know, right now, the things that are really different are, are the, the, the censoring technologies that we're using to be able to detect more accurate places to perforate a, a, a well. Uh, but in general, the process is the hard part, not the location. So when we, when we find a location that looks like it's dead center, uh, someplace that we can find either a vertical or horizontal uh, opportunity, what we do at that point is we, we try to get as, as advanced some technology as possible to determine the best place to drill and then how to drill. You can either drill vertically, which you're gonna drill a hole in the ground and you're gonna try to hit this you know, like a contact lens is what these oil pockets look like. You want to hit the very center, very top. If you go too deep, you get all water. If you go too shallow, you get nothing. So the ability to be able to determine how far below the surface it is and then track our measurability in drilling, really advanced stuff that's coming out. And it's getting better, you know, especially as prices increase and, and, and markets get more 
scarce and you see recession coming across the globe, when things get more expensive, technology becomes better. And I'm really excited for the next 10 years of the engineering products that are coming out that are in development right now, because there's nothing more important. I don't care what any CNN report tells you or what any greenie tells you about the world. You need oil, gas, and coal to get to the next level of energy, which is not likely to be any of the energies that they're promoting today. It's likely to be nuclear. By the way, about six hours ago, the first nuclear reactor on planet Earth in the last seven years just went online. So we're going from this bridge of, of fossil fuels to nuclear. And in between, don't get me wrong, we need as much. I energy. thought wind and solar was the way to go, Eric. They are. They are. Um, if you are the one profiting from selling that idea, because uh, there's a guy in Scotland that just put out this great, uh, very brave reporter in Scotland, just went to an, uh, a wind farm and took video of every windmill on the wind farm. Eighty five percent of them, the, the, the turbines were turning because of a diesel generator. I mean, this is, yeah. this is the world we live where you keep hearing that the world is. What did the U.N. say last week? We've, we've gone past global warming. We're going into global boiling. We're all going to boil and the aliens are going to abduct us. But somewhere in between, we're still going to need to drive our car to work. And we're still going to be able to run a factory, which requires oil and gas. Um, the logic. Not to mention that, all the other products that we use every day. Yeah. Cosmetics. Oh, I mean, it, almost everything that we touch on a daily basis. Pills. Oil is a part of that process. You can't make pills without petroleum. You, you can't. Yeah. There, there's petroleum in every pill you take. Uh, I was just on a panel in uh, at Freedom Fest in Memphis talking about this exact same topic. And if you look at the, the products that we use, no one's talking about this mounting problem. We're entering the era of AI and eventually quantum computing, which right now the cloud requires almost half of our daily oil production just to run the cloud globally. It takes that much energy to run computers and technology. You know. Younger people today think that their phone is just a, a thing that popped out of Santa's bag when he came down the chimney. But the fact of the matter is you have to mine the materials using diesel fuel. You have to create the batteries using diesel fuel and natural gas. And then every time your app changes the time on your clock on your phone, a little wheel spins on a server somewhere in the world that requires energy to do so. So, you know, moving forward, the new technological age of, of artificial intelligence and quantum computing, nothing is more important than oil and gas. That will be who the winner is. Just like every other war that's ever been fought on planet Earth, the inner, the winner is the one with the most energy. Yeah. Speaking of the one with the most energy, you mentioned a basin a little bit earlier. Can you talk to a little bit, talk to us a little bit about which basin, where that resides? Sure. And maybe just a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I moved here, I moved to Texas in 2020, kind of seeing the writing on the wall. And Texas is rapidly becoming, in my opinion, in the next five to 10 years, Texas will be the most important state in this country, just simply due to the fact that we have the Permian Basin. We have about nine basins in Texas that produce tremendous amount of oil and gas. The Permian Basin happens to be the largest and most well-known. I often, I call it the Yankee Stadium of oil and gas. Uh, if you haven't heard okay. of the Permian, it's like Yankee Stadium. Uh, one of the things I found interesting is in July 12th or July 9th, I can't remember the exact date of 2016, CNN of all places published an article saying that the largest oil reserves on planet Earth are the Permian Basin and in Alaska, which the government's already shut down all the federal lands in Alaska. But the Permian Basin in Texas truly can power every home, airplane, uh, combustion engine, manufacturing plant on Earth for the next 350 years. There's that much oil and gas there, but every year we hear that it's run dry. It's just, it's the oil field that won't die. And Alaska has even more. Between those two 
areas, those two bases between the Permian and the Alaskan, you have enough energy to power 600 years of every vehicle on planet Earth. It's fascinating. That is fascinating. That It's kind of mind-boggling. You can't really picture how much volume that is. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a little thing about the volume is a great place to start with oil and gas. So in America, we use 18.6 uh, million barrels of oil a day, 18.6 million barrels. Okay. A barrel is, you know, just one barrel of oil is 42 gallons. Those 42 gallons create 20 gallons of gasoline and the byproducts are used for other things. So if you really think about how much oil we use just in America, uh, it's a tremendous amount. Globally, we use anywhere between 100 and 106 million barrels of oil per day, per day. That's a lot. Just to run the cloud is 2.5 billion barrels a year. Billion. That's a Just to run million. the cloud. Just to run the cloud. See, and that's something that, I mean, I've never thought about that. <clears throat> it's, uh, no one does, right? We, we always think, well, Wi-Fi, there's no cords, right? No, it's, it's not really the internet. It's just a, a gift from God. Well, God maybe created Wi-Fi, uh, but he delivered that vehicle through human beings. And human beings are pretty pretty profit-driven these days. And, and when we look at the, the, the tales being told to the world, you know, people are completely removed from, you know, look at food, for example. You know, you, you get a, a bowl of Cheerios and no one knows that you have to actually grow the materials to make the Cheerio. They just think Cheerios appear out of a, a magic machine somewhere or that their steak on their plate came from a steak machine. No, those are ranchers and farmers around the world that create the ingredients that create the final product. Technology is no different, right? Your car is no, you know, to make a car, mm -hmm. you use a tremendous amount of energy just to produce it, yet alone run it. Uh, and I think one of the biggest problems we have in this world is we don't teach the youth what a supply chain is. So if you don't yeah. teach the youth that that gasoline you put in your car for, you know, whoever this idiot is in office right now, uh, for like 12 bucks a gallon or whatever it's going to end up being in the end, you know, that actually came from a you know, a, a, a very large, deep hole in the earth is somewhere in the Permian Basin. And, and somewhere along the way, it had to be refined, it had to be liquefied, it had to be created. You know, teaching supply chain to people gives a greater understanding of where things come from. And two really symbiotic markets are you know, the oil business and farmers. We are the base ingredient for running the world. Yeah, there's, a, we were talking about before this call, there's a large complacency mindset that we're dealing with today. And I know you and I both battle with this on a, on a daily basis, trying to get rid of complacency in our own circles as well. But I think just the lack of thought or like people aren't driven to like understand that whole supply chain and understand that their everyday actions have implications and it's not all roses. Like things come from somewhere. Like your iPhone comes from somewhere, your food comes from somewhere. And when governments are shutting down farms in European nations, such as the Netherlands, like this has impacts and this could very well be America if, if we let it. Um, but it's just like, Agreed. yeah. Agreed. That's the battle we face today is just the world has become so intertwined with its own life that it's forgetting how its life was created. And you look at a kid staring at a phone. Not even a kid. You look at a 35-year-old man, you know, 35 to 45 years old, they spend four to five hours a day playing games on their phone and not really understanding how the food got to their table, how their car started that morning. You know, when, when I grew up, we had to learn how everything worked. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm 46, so 
I still remember going to meet my friends at the mall without a phone and having to find the exact location at the exact same time. Kids today couldn't do that. Most adults today couldn't do that, to be frank with you. And the mm -hmm. further we get away from the origination of a supply chain, where it all begins from the root, you know, the further we get from reality. And this, the whole energy, you know, we need wind and solar. Oh, so we need something that blows occasionally and something that only provides, you know, actual power for us 12 hours a day. That's a logical deduction uh, from something that provides power 24-7, wind, sleet, or snow. Uh, you know, just the logic embedded in the world does come from supply chain understanding. We're very comfortable in this country. We live a very comfortable life. We can, we can go, somebody else makes most of our food. Yeah. Uh, somebody else yeah. brings that food to that cook. You know, we, all we have to do is drive right to your home. doorstep. Yeah, exactly. We don't even have to leave our homes for that. Yet, yet we have this, you know, dichotomy of society where one's looking to get back to the original roots and grow their own food and create their own things. And the rest of them are saying, no, give us AI and tyranny. We'll take it forever. It's a fascinating time to be alive. Fascinating and scary at the same time. Let's dispel some myths about oil and gas, Eric. Like, what does the process look like if you're someone who's interested in investing into this industry, um, but you've never done it before. Can you just walk us through that, what that process would look like for us? Sure, from an investor standpoint or from yeah. the operations? Yeah, from, yeah, from an investor standpoint. Uh, from an investor standpoint, it's pretty easy. Um, you, you go through our presentation, understand our model, how we select properties, what, we're, what our targets are for drilling, our targets for return. Um, you understand that, figure out an amount you want to invest. As soon as you do that, it'll reduce your taxable income and you start receiving monthly income 60 days later. Uh, and then hopefully at the end of the fund, you receive a three or two or three X multiple on your capital that you've invested and you move on to the next fund and lower your taxes again. Uh, from an operational standpoint, I'll dispel some myths. Uh, well, I'll make some myths reality. So, you know, oil and gas is volatile. Uh, it's a volatile investment. We are, we are literally going where no man has gone before. You know, our, our last well we drilled was 8,000 feet deep and 7,500 feet across. Whoa. So we created a horizontal and elbow. So doing that okay. comes with its ups and downs, it's, it's trials. We just had to shut in some wells last week because we had a hundred year rain in the Permian, a certain area in the Permian, so we couldn't operate anything. We couldn't truck any oil out because the roads were all mud. Uh, we work in pretty desolate places. Our most re recent property is in Borden County, Texas. There's 1,200 people in the whole county. Um, so mm -hmm. they're pretty, pretty wide open spaces. Um, so I will make that, that part of the process. And especially if you don't have access to the land, which is where the profits are made, it's a really volatile investment. Um, I'll dispel some myths on operations for oil and gas because we get the environmental question, right? We get that yep. question a lot. Well, I will state this openly and honestly that oil and gas is far more environmentally sound than electronic battery mining. So the lithium mines are wide open crevices in the earth. They're spewing, you know, microscopic and nanoscopic metals all across. Anybody who's around there must wear a mask or your lungs will get torn up because lithium is a metal. Uh, they're primarily mm -hmm. mined by very young people under the age of 15. Uh, very horrible conditions. And you look at from a, a, an oil and gas perspective, we drill basically a, an 18 inch to 24 inch hole in the ground that goes a mile, mile and a half deep, mile, mile and a half across. Uh, we actually pull out all the water, which is primarily salt water. Uh, we dispose of it in a very regulatory environment, friendly environment for the environment. Mm -hmm. uh, we are always, it costs us a lot of money to get rid of, of water. Now we're actually desalinating it because we're running out of drinking water in America. So the oil we're, or the water we're pulling out with our oil is actually just as valuable these days. But at the end of the day, you know, the, I hear the environment say that 
you know, drilling for oil is not environmentally sound. Well, you know, we do burn off gas. You have to do that. We do burn off gas. That is something that's unavoidable. Uh, that actually dissipates in the air pretty quickly and is diluted by what we call wind uh, very effectively. Uh, then that carbon we've admitted actually gets absorbed into plants, uh, which actually creates more plant life. Uh, at the end of the day, the biggest problem I hear from environmentalists is, oh, fracking is evil. It's horrible. Let me explain what fracking is. Once we've drilled a hole into a hard rock, primarily you're, de you're dealing with hard rock below the surface. The hard mm -hmm. rock needs to have cracks put in it so that oil can leak through the cracks and come up the pipe. So you do what's called frack. We're creating fractures. We do that using two really environmentally safe things created by God, water and sand. We shoot water and sand down a hole at very high pressures. And once it comes, once the water flows back, you can actually drink it without dying. So it's a bit confusing to understand how a lithium mine is better for the environment as opposed to a 18 to 24 inch hole in the ground that you shoot water and sand down into to release something that God created to pull up into the normal world so that you can power your life. Um, these are really big myths that are for any logical mind who's done any research at all. You can understand pretty quickly that oil and gas has its issues like anyone else, but it's, I won't say it's better, uh, but I will say that it's, it's as safe as anything else out there to put it mildly, uh, my own opinion off the record, I'm on record because we're on camera. Um, and you cannot build any green technologies without it. So it is a, it is a necessary evil to an environmentalist and it's a necessary good to a fundamentalist. I appreciate that perspective, Eric. I really do because a while ago I listened to, I think it was a Joe Rogan podcast and he had this gentleman on who wrote a book about the mines in Congo and how these Chinese corporations are mining all of these natural minerals and the conditions that they were putting the population through to mine these. And it was, it was so slave sad. Labor. Yeah. It's, it's paid slave labor. That's yeah. what's happening. And China's way ahead of us. They've been using, they, they call that, that model soccer stadium financing. So what they did 25 years ago is they would go into an impoverished country and say, Hey, listen, you could really revive the spirit of your community if you had a big soccer stadium, because that's, that's kind of the, the football of the world. Mm -hmm. And so they would come in, they would drop, you know, $2 billion building a gorgeous soccer stadium on financing that that country could never pay back. And so as collateral for the loan, they would say, we want that port over there. We want that mine over there. We own these things. If you can't pay us back, uh, these loans are coming due in the last decade and we're seeing it all over the place. And Chinese pretty much own almost all the resources in Africa at this moment in time. And with, if we mm -hmm. don't stop them from doing what they're doing, they'll own all the resources in South America because that's where they're really prevalent. The, the, the nation of Brazil is essentially owned by China at this point. Yeah. There's a big narrative that wants to put America as this huge bad guy that we're fracking and emitting all of this carbon into the atmosphere. But when you look at it, China is ran by coal plants still today. They don't care about what we call green technology because they're trying to control assets, pivotal assets around the world. Well, we've earned our reputation as the bad guy in many ways, but it's certainly not for drilling for oil and gas. We have the cleanest standards in America with the highest standards in America. The Chinese right now are funding two coal mines per week. 
in the nation of China. They're building two coal mines every week. That's insane. Their, that's insane. And they're getting all of their coal from places like Australia, who they've essentially lent money to to take control of their resources as well. Um, so from a global perspective, if you look at it uh, rationally, that China right now emits about 13 times the amount of carbon of any other nation in the world. We emit carbon as well at, at pretty high levels, but we also have to retrofit and pay massive amounts of standard cost for regulatory issues that allow us to be the least pollutant country in the world. What we're doing, and it makes no sense, right? So you think of what you want. If you think the world is a spinning globe, spinning ball in the universe, well, any carbon emitted in China eventually, because we have this thing called wind, it ends up in every other nation in the world. So pollutants cannot be constrained to a region. And if you look at the, you know, it was the Paris, the Paris uh, Climate Accord. Yeah, Climate Accord. Yeah, Trump got out really quickly because we were paying 80% of the bill. China was paying zero, and they're by far the biggest violator of the treaty. Um, now Biden has put that back in place. So essentially, we're paying money to China to profit from building green energies for this country that aren't going to work or outpace oil and gas investments anytime soon. Any logical so We're actually just increasing the demand for the products in the mines that they're running. That's correct. Yeah, we're making China more powerful every time we get because they get a free pass. Everything that, that we're accused of doing in American oil and gas production, the nation of China is doing 13 fold. And we're paying for that to happen makes no sense. It's wild to think about. I mean, I think that it, it takes, like, I think I look at things pretty end to end, but then, you know, I talk to someone like you who has a completely different perspective um, in a lot of different industries. And it just blows my mind about, you know, even some of the things that we were talking about earlier, but this this end-to-end -end perspective is just something that a lot of people don't want to think with because of the complacency in our in our world today um but i don't really know how to go go forward i mean what are you doing in your daily life to to combat this <laughs> well i do stuff like this all the time so i i go on other people's shows i have my own um i've spoke i don't know probably ha throughout half of the country uh, I teach my kids. I mean, that's where everything starts in the home. You know, if you raise your kids to be like everyone else, they're going to be like everyone else. I teach my kids and I invite over their friends and I teach them how to think through the things of the world critically. You know, if you really look at the, the, the best asset of human nature is our ability to think critically and discern truth. And we've gotten so far away from that. You know, people don't read articles, they read headlines. Mm -hmm. uh, people don't research on their own. They wait for someone else to do it. Not realizing that's, that that's someone else that they're depending on that they get paid for their opinion. I mean, we watch this happen yep. with COVID. We've watched this happen everywhere. People will take money to embellish the truth or flat out tell a lie that other people will believe. Um, so I continually speak in truth. I really don't care what the ramifications are. I'm going to tell the truth at all times. And I think if we as a society get stronger in that ability, that conviction to just simply speak the truth and not worry about what anyone else says, that eventually the spell gets broken and people start thinking logically again. People thought this way in the 50s and 60s. You know, I always hear I have an old-fashioned mind. Uh, I don't really know what that means, but I hear that all the time. And I started, you know, talking to people who are older than me. And they started saying, you know, hey, let's think. If, if you think critically through just about every narrative that the media has ever told you, you'll find out that they're not telling you the truth. I mean, it's a fundamental thing. But most people just rely on that trusted source of news. 
to get their truth from it without taking any time. Not like they can, because, you know, back in the day, we had one person in the home working, one person raising kids. It's, it's all been a big, long, drawn out ability. Now we have, you know, now you have two people working. You have kids who have to go to soccer camp. They got to go to baseball camp. They got to be in cheerleading. You know, most people don't have enough time to actually look through things. They just look for headlines and try to try to do their best to understand the world around them. And it just takes specific people to, to touch their mind and open up their eyes. And oil and gas is probably the biggest, you know, the biggest victim in this whole thing, because in order to make green energy acceptable, despite the fact that it produces less than three and a half percent of the world's energy, uh, to make that a new cause, you have to really, really villainize the standard. Um, yeah. And that's what happened. So, and like I said, in 2016, CNN told the truth one time. They have not mentioned their own article from 2016 ever since Trump got into office. It's been a fascinating five-year ride in America, eight-year ride in America. And I think that we're starting to see so many more people realize how important supply chains are, critical thinking and logic, and more importantly, at the end of the day, how important energy is. Without energy, food, and water, you have no nation. You have zero. Throw in borders. Mm -hmm. You can throw in all these other topics. But without food, water, and energy, you have no sovereignty. If you're dependent upon someone else for any of those three necessities, you have no freedom. And our government continually shuts down oil and gas operations in this country to buy it from a foreign nation, essentially giving away our sovereignty. It happens yeah. every day. It's, it's amazing to see. What was that article that you were talking about from CNN, I think? I don't know if it's still online, but I got a screenshot of it about a year ago. Um, and I can send you the screenshot. I think it's from like July 9th or July 12th, 2016. Uh, stating that the largest reserve, I got a picture of it on my phone. I can pull it out a screenshot of it. Most oh, of the time, the when come, they get deleted pretty quick, you know? Yeah. They have one rogue reporter like, oh, you weren't supposed to report that. Oh, I, I have like four or five of those videos saved somewhere too. Like those reporters never reported ever again. It's it's just it's amazing to see what happens in this world. It's amazing. Yeah. What happened to freedom of speech, Eric? Oh, God, that went out with, uh, that went out in the 60s. <laughs> That's so out of fashion. You're so out of touch, Casey. I know. I'm trying, man. I'm trying to get at your level. (laughs) No, it's a whole other episode. Outside of oil and gas, I'll be happy to run down how America's sovereignty was stripped from them. And the final final nail in the coffin is removing our own energy independence. Mm -hmm. But needless to say, and we've talked about a ton in the last 30 minutes, but sounds like you're a big proponent of oil and gas. I am too. I think it has, it's going to be a huge play in the coming years. It would just, when we look at the macro environment and yeah, I, I think it's something that should be in everyone's portfolio. I'm definitely parsing away some capital for myself to diversify into this as well. And also minerals. Um, what, what are your thoughts on other hydrocarbons, metals um, outside of oil and gas? Um. Well, there's a lot of them being mined right now. So helium's a big mining product now. Um, you know, the, the precious metals are always there. I mean, I, I look at platinum right now because South Africa has no fuel, so they have no mining operations, and 80% of the world's platinum comes out of South Africa. Uh, that's hmm. a good place to look in. But when it comes to hydrocarbon investments, there's, there's multiple different ways you can do it, and they have multiple different advantages and disadvantages. Uh, so from a oil and gas investment, you certainly could invest in the, in the large publicly traded stocks. Uh, they by themselves have problems, right? So any lar- here's, how, here's how large acquisitions work in public markets, because previous to this, I was in 
quantum biology before coming into oil and gas, but I ran a public company. And in that space, if you acquire 51% interest in a project, you can actually put 100% of their income on your books. So it's difficult to determine without looking through each contract what they actually own versus what they claim as revenue. That's a difficult thing. The benefits of, of investing in publicly traded stocks like that, or even MLPs for midstream partners like Martin Midstream and things like that. Uh, the good news is, is that you can, you're liquid, right? You can get in, you can get out. That's, that's, the, that's truly the benefit uh, with public stocks. You can invest in mineral rights, but without a good drilling team, you're not going to make any money. So mineral rights by themselves don't have many tax advantages. Mm -hmm. uh, I chose to work in this environment because we provide a tax advantage, which obviously helps you keep what you earn, which is the most important. I, I, am, I wake up every morning, Casey, and I'm happiest about what I do for a living because in the past 13 months, I've taken $154 million out of the hands of the IRS and I put it into the ground for America. That's oh. the way I do my job. So you get a big tax advantage by investing in the oil field. You get tax advantage monthly income, which helps you fight against inflation. It also helps you manage your taxes. And then in our model, you actually get a multiple. So you don't have to sacrifice wealth creation for tax advantages. You don't have to sacrifice monthly income for tax advantages. You get all three. So in the other areas that you can invest in, you can invest in the supply chain. You can invest in the picks and the shovels. There's a lot of profit there. But most investments in oil and gas, whether the, unless they're mineral or operating interests, which is what we have, Unless they're those two things that are essentially like every other investment, I'm giving you money, hoping it's worth more at the end. Uh, I look for income, tax advantages, and a multiple on capital. And as far as I know, there's nobody else in the space who does what we do. I love it, Eric. King Operating Company and Eric Rice. Is there anything else that you would like to leave us with today, sir? Oh, there's a fourth advantage. Uh, that's uh, somebody asked me a question on a video we're releasing. They said, explain to me where oil and gas is right now. And I said, we're pretty much in 1776. You know, the, the, our corporations are overtaxed, we're overburdened, and we need to be set free in order to create independence in this country. So managing your taxes, getting your income and a multiple on capital, add in a fourth one, you get to support the growth of your own nation's energy supply. This is a privilege in this country. There are countries all around the world right now that are nationalizing their energy sector. And about 15 different Congress people and senators have stated publicly that their goal is to nationalize the U.S. energy sector. We have the largest reserves. You invest while, while things are difficult and you get prosperous when things turn right. And I believe that our next administration, granted, there's problems in that system as well. But I believe our next administration will will strive towards energy independence in this country and create a whole new way of life. I hope that is our future as well, Eric. I do. Thank you so much for coming on, Eric. This has been a pleasure. Where can people get a hold of you more and learn more about you? Sure, yeah. So we can go to kingoperating.com uh, if you're interested in learning about the fund and we'll, we'll give you a call and walk you through that. Uh, I'm on Twitter at EA underscore Rice. I'm not on Twitter very much. Uh, got a little Telegram page that's nobody else is on that. But I'm on YouTube right now on uh, King Operating and on the Rice Report on YouTube and Rumble. Sounds great. We will put those in the show notes as well. Eric Rice, thank you so much for coming on. You got it. Thanks, Casey. All right, we'll talk soon. Thanks to you listeners, and you know what to do. If you enjoyed today's episode, feel free to subscribe and let us know how we did. All right, see you, everyone. Bye.